Welcome to the Hard Water Fishing Show. Jeff and Jason talk tactics, gear, and ice fishing legends. Welcome back. We are alive. Season 5, episode 11. It is already the fourth week of January 2022. I've been writing 2021 a lot, Jeff. I suspect I'm going to have a lot of things that are going to come back around for my signature over again. (laughs) And we have, gosh, we've got a great episode lined up. We've got an interview coming up with Roger um, from Roger's Rigs. Uh, He's got a YouTube channel. Um, He's a perch fisherman extraordinaire from out east in the Adirondack area. So, Pretty excited to talk to him. It's always nice. I always really enjoy talking to folks that um, fish a lot different geographical location than we do. Yeah, and, and he doesn't just fish different geographically, but like I've read some of the ways his tactics, and they're definitely different than what we talk about typically on the show. Cool. Well, that's exciting. So we'll get to that later on. But first, gosh, so what, what our listeners don't know is that we called our friend Oli right before we recorded, right? Little Oli. Little Oli. Yes. The whole time we're talking to him, sitting here at my desk with this beer. But I can't open it because it's for the show. And if I nope. had planned better, I would have brought two beers, one for talking to Oli and then one when we started the show. But no, I didn't. Yep. So here I am. May I go first? Because I am parched. I am also, but you may go first. You're quite the gentleman. So I moved away from old Milwaukee, Jeff. That's good news. Good news. I'm glad you took the hint and said because not that I'm not that I'm through the 30 pack yet. <laughs> Still working on it. But tonight, uh, and this is a repeat again. I'm going to have to go to find more beer somewhere outside my town. This was established in Milwaukee in 1844. It is an award-winning beer. It is a pounder. This is the original Paps Blue Ribbon beer. Nature's choicest products provided to provide its prized flavor. It's incursive and it's really small, sorry. Only the finest of hops and grains are used, selected as America's best in 1893. <laughs> Someday I need to look. It's a recent award, like it's over 100 Someday years ago. Someday I need to look to see if they've ever won another one. All right, here we go. There we go. I do like me some. Ah, oh, yeah. Strong pull on that yeah, one. I'm telling you, I've been perched. So, Jay, I, I will say, to get you some variety in your beer selection, you need to find a place, the the liquor store by us. And I know Iowa has a very different liquor store structure than Minnesota because they don't really even have liquor stores. It's just the gas station. They have We have liquor stores, Hy-Vee, Hy-Vee, the Hy-Vee liquor store. But I don't have one of those here in town. In Minnesota, they only really sell alcohol at the liquor store. Like, you can't go to the gas station. You can't go to the grocery store. It's only at the liquor store. So Iowa used to be all um, state stores. Sure. Like, when I was growing up, it was that way. You had to go to the state-run liquor store, and it was state employees selling alcohol. And actually, all of the hard liquor, all the hard liquor, well, even in Iowa yet, all the hard liquor still is warehoused by the state. So the manufacturer... Ships it to a state warehouse where it's labeled and distributed. So when you took your covered wagon when you were a kid to the liquor store? You had covered wagons. We didn't have covered wagons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you just had a cart we, with a wheel We had on the, the ox cart. Yeah. 
<laughs> the wheel. Ox cards. <laughs> Moving on. What are you drinking? All right. I am drinking. It's it's not a repeat, but it's a repeat company. And it's Jason's favorite animal. Spotted cow? The goose. The goose. God, I hate geese. I know. So Goose <sighs> Island. I hate geese. I have Next Coast IPA. India Pale. There's no story. It's a silver can, very plain, and it looks good. I like Goose Island, even if you don't like geese. So here it goes. Hmm. A mild IPA. Pretty good. My my wife tried some Blue Moon stuff the other day. Not the regular Blue Moon she drinks, but some other kind of Blue Moon. And uh, she, she took a drink, and she's like, this is terrible. You need to try this. And I'm like, why do I want to try it if it's terrible? <laughs> And I had a sneaking suspicion what the issue was. So I take a drink because I'm a good husband. And, you know, it's hoppier than heck. You know, it's like fresh carpet, like fresh right out carpet. of the factory. <laughs> and I'm like, you need to, we need to bring this to Jeff. He, run, he runs a homeless shelter for, for wayward hoppy beers. I do. <laughs> so it's true. I've got a whole cupboard I got to bring to you and random stuff. What's the shelf life? Because I still got stuff from last year I've been meaning to bring you. Ooh, I, I don't know. I think like 12 months. Oh, I bet this stuff's bad. fine yet. And it's been it's been kept climate controlled. It's been mainly Good hot, and mainly cold, and mainly hot. <laughs> mainly hot. In the trunk of your car it's or something? Trunk. No, it's not in the trunk. No, it's down right. in the basement. So I, I'm enjoying my beer. I was thirsty also because we've been talking a lot, so I better take another sip. <laughs> While you're doing that, we want to thank our patrons for their support. Uh, you can find that at hardwatershow.com backslash patron. Uh, we sure do appreciate that and the support every month of, of those folks. And I think we probably are due for a, a call coming up here. Jeff's going to get details around, and we'll get that out when we when we know. Yes, exactly. Um, show business. We're going to plan those details before the show, but instead we talked to Oli. We did, but we actually talked fishing <laughs> for a good portion of that, but... Oh my gosh, some good good stuff. Good stories. That that's gonna make an episode coming up. We do. We have some episode we, we did get some some uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Some content that we can develop future oh. future content. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. It's an adventure again, so it, I love it. It may even almost be the beginning of a dream come true for some for one of us. Oh my gosh. So we'll know. I'll know yes. more. We'll know more. Things will will happen. Yes. But we'll we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that later yeah. this year. Um, like foreshadowing or, or maybe some way, mystery way foreshadowing. Right? yeah cliffhanger cliffhanger yeah yeah all right. all right so show business want me to run through this quick yeah so we have an amazon affiliate link um that is where do we where do we keep that at that link jeff the main link is there and we have a link on the top of our web page oh, that's where but we keep it yeah you can also um if we talk about gear in a show um i'll put a link in the show notes so you can use that too. Um, you know, we get just a tiny little piece of that and help support the show. If um, you know, we talk about something and you buy it from Amazon, it doesn't cost anymore, and you just use the link. So um, you can cat- catch our merchandise at hardwatershow.com/slash/merch. Uh, um, interact with us on Instagram and Facebook. We're pretty active on the Instagram and the Facebook this time of year. I just put a we we kind of post once a week or so on there right now. Yeah. Um, you can go to our website, hardwatershow.com. 
We have a YouTube page with some videos, and as always, you can email us at hardwatershow at gmail.com. I did not check that tonight. Have you checked that? I did, okay, in fact. Perfect. The notes are populated with some emails Ah, I from see that. that. So we actually... Jeff, you want to lead into the fact-checking section, huh? We have some fact-checks. Yeah, checks. we had some fact-checks. Which is we, good, which we, is good. Yeah, we, we made some... So the, the biggest one was... Uh, the lake we're going to we didn't pronounce for it, the right? Hardwater Freaks event. We did not pronounce it correctly. Yeah. It's Petenwell, Petenwell, not Pentawell. I'm just going to call it Pentenwell regardless of how many times I get corrected when we're over there. Petenwell. Petenwell. So, so it's Petenwell. Yeah. I'm just going to say it with authority like I know what I'm talking about. What do you think? And they're going to go, that guy must be from Iowa. I'll just tell him, yeah, when they say, no, it's Petenwell, I said, yeah, that's what I said, Petenwell. <laughs> tomato tomato <laughs> i'll just look at him with just wonder like we're not say, we're saying the same thing i don't know what you're hearing yeah <laughs> all right and this guy's handle is kind of interesting i don't know how to pronounce pjn111385 <laughs> or the thing that it assigned me <laughs> as a user yes yeah. uh Said he will see us at the Hard Rider Freaks event. So awesome. I don't know how we'll tell. You think his name will be PJN11385? I don't know. Like a robot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Have you seen those robot commercials? No. Where it's like making fun of, you know, when you go to a website and you have to click on the robot, I'm not a robot button. Oh, I hate the matching game. Yeah, the matching oh, game where I'm not a robot. That. They're like. Find all the stoplights. And you're like, is that a stoplight? Or they're like a bus. And they're like, then they have a thing that almost looks like a bus, but it's not really a bus. And you're like, is <laughs> yeah, that exactly. actually class or a crosswalk? I mean, all those things. They're, it's mi- the most miserable thing that our life has become. Let the robots in and make me let me stop clicking there. So this robot got mad and he has laser eyes and he like burns somebody's cup because he gets mad because he's trying to get into the website and it's he's a robot and it won't let him in so he like laser eyes his computer like he has like like uh superman laser eyes you know when you look at something and just burn through it i've never been able to do that i know me either but this robot could so he was trying to get into a website and he was a robot so of course robots are not allowed into the website so he laser eyes his computer you know, and like burns through it and gets mad and then he looks at somebody else and then laser eyes through their cup of coffee too. It's pretty funny. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Okay. Moving on. You got to see it. <laughs> I have. He was just mad because, you know, they don't want yeah, let the robots in. I, okay. <laughs> so PJ, PJN111385, if you're a robot, we'll still talk to you at the Hardwater Freaks. We event. absolutely will. Mr. Wayness. <laughs> M R M W A N O U S. I think it's almost as fun just the names we have. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, luckily you can pronounce them. I don't think that one's a bad word. I don't think so. I don't know. I like how this starts. Brah. Like, <laughs> said Garmin makes Pantopics and Pantopics Live Scope. Hummingbird is mega live. Also, last week Jason kept on saying VCM, but it's VMC. It's VMC. Yeah, I realized that after the show, I'd screwed that up. And Jason sounds just like Michael Keaton. Never, that's a new one. I've never heard that before. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> be careful with that one. <laughs> I don't know. There's going to be some crazy guy popping up behind me. But So those, that's some fact che- heavy-duty fact-checking. It is, which is good. 
But I like people to correct us because we know that we're not right all the time. Or Absolutely. Occasionally we're. All right. So we will be at the Hardwater Freaks event coming up with listener news here. Um, that is really coming up here, Jay. I'm excited. Like next. Like Pentawell. So we'll be there. <laughs> Petawell. Petenwell. Yeah, I like Petenwell. Um, so hopefully we can see people. Um, you can find that information on the Hardwater Freaks Facebook Facebook page. Um, there was tickets. I don't know if there's any available still or not, but I think it was an unlimited. There was a limited number of tickets, so you can check that out. So hopefully you see us. We will be the dudes. If you don't recognize us from the website, we will be the guys with the Hardwater Fishing Show sweatshirts and gear on. But our jackets will be over that. So. Yeah, you're probably. I don't know. We we're gonna be incognito, but we'll be there. We'll be there. So if you look, see two dudes cruising around together. If you see a couple of guys at a, at a bar table with a microphone and a laptop, it's probably us. <laughs> yeah. The blue Yeti microphone and, and, and a laptop with a bunch of stickers yep. on it. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. And we have the Fish Donkey Tournament, Jason. Yes. Join our, join our tournament. So we have 10 people right now. So And you can still sign up. It starts on the 21st, so you have two more days. So by the time this podcast gets out, it's actually the day the podcast drops. So, But I believe you can actually join it until the end of the competition. That's my understanding as well. So we'd like, it should be cool to get about 100 of you guys and gals on this on this tournament. Let's make this a thing. The prizes are primarily going to be Hardwater Fishing Show gear, like hats or, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, Depending on how many people do it, we'll just put that money into whatever we get. So I guess if we get a million people, the prizes will be cooler than if we get less than a million people. I like how you think. A million so, people will be fine. And it's $5. You can sign up through the app, and it's pretty easy. I, you can see I, we're on there, and then also um, you know, other people too. So thank you for those who signed up, and we're looking forward for a few more participants to have some fun, and we will be giving updates on our next podcast on the leaderboard. That'd be fun. I can't wait. And I've never actually done this before, Fish Donkey, with anything. It's a pretty popular app, and people use it for lots of different um, tournaments. So mm-hmm. um, if you're looking for it, you can search for Hardwater Fishing Show 2022 is the name of our tournament. Jason, we got an email from Rich F., our first patron. Wow. I know. So- um, he was asking... About the cost. This is a very interesting topic. It is. The cost of when you go on an ice fishing trip with four, the four guys. Okay. So that's a great question. So when this trip that we've been going on with, with the guys, with the hard water fishing crew, um, what, Jeff, how many years are we at? 22? Yep. 22 years. Yep. So when we started, we were in our all very early 20s and all on very, very, very tight budgets. And so the thing, Very tight. you know, our budget has expanded, but I would say we're still pretty cautious about cost. So we usually we try to keep it. So we have four nights. We usually have been traditionally budgeting like 50 bucks a night per guy for lodging. Yes. And we've, we've been able to stay pretty close around that. So basically that's 200 bucks a night for lodging with right. for the four of us. And now we've crept up here and there, but usually we've been able to stay for years. It was 25. Yes. I mean, and I would say up until the last five years, we were able to stick underneath that 25 per guy yep. per night for lodging. And then now recently we've, we've expanded that a little bit, but we're at a different stage of life than we were too. So that, that helps. I, I would say we did not have very many means and we still went. Absolutely. 
I mean, we we were probably total trip because a few times we would go to somebody's cabin where there was no cost mm-hmm. for the cabin, right? And you know, we could probably get by with a couple hundred dollars max for food and gas. Yep. And, you know, I mean, gas is probably the biggest cost sometimes. But we rarely stay at resorts. Um, typically, we do yes. Airbnbs because they're cheaper. Or we yep. rent a cabin from a, a family friend or somebody you know yep. or, or that kind of a thing. Resorts, um, there's some really good resorts out there, so not don't hear me dogging that. But, but a lot of them that are open in the winter have a different price point than what we were willing to spend. And We have stayed at resorts. We have. Um, we stayed at a resort on Vermilion. Vermilion, yep. um, that wasn't a bad place. And then we stayed at a resort on... But anyway, those have been more, some of our more expensive trips because of the they're just the way resorts are price structured. But then for meals, we we do I usually do all the cooking and get all the groceries for meals, and I keep that under and have historically kept that under thirty bucks a guy for like the whole trip, and we yeah. eat one meal out. Yep, and that's that's how we've done it. Not eating out is the number one way you can control your costs. Especially yep. with the groups. If you got four guys, you know, if you eat out anymore, you're fifteen to thirty dollars per meal because you're gonna usually do drinks. And it's the drinks that yep. get you at a at a bar. And you're not fishing if you're out eating. No. No, you're not. So now now we have got kind of lax in recent years. We used to fish like eighteen hours a day. Yes. <laughs> and we still should And I would be. say we 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 fish a little less than that. We might go in for. Oh, it dinner. takes these guys so long to get going in the morning. They all get up. All right. They scratch. They stretch. They itch. They drink a cup of coffee. They all have to have their morning constitution. I feed them all breakfast. <laughs> then they all got to have another morning constitution. Another cup of coffee. <laughs> and then they got to find their clothes and get dressed. It's miserable how long it takes these guys to get going in the morning. Coming back to the question, Jay from Rich. <laughs> Um, I would say, I would say, because it sounds like Rich is saying, you know, the, the money can be, you know, tight sometimes I would say, you know, you can make it work if you want to. Um, if you want to do a trip and you want to do the cheapest you can camp on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, you don't have any luck. If you have the gear, I mean, there's a gear cost there too. And he, he has some gear. He listed some gear here that he has, you know, even like. Where I go, Red Door, right? Um, they have wheelhouses and it's a resort and you can do whatever, but it's $15 to get on the lake. You can drive out there because there's roads. And so even if you don't have a snow machine or something, if you have a car with a pop-up hub, mm-hmm. you can go camp out in the ice for $15 for the whole weekend. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And and so I, I would encourage you to find a way. <laughs> there, there's a way, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's going to be more than zero. I mean, you're going to spend... I, I can't imagine getting by with a trip for under hundred dollars. I mean, like just with gas, depending on how far you go and that kind of stuff. Most of our weekends, I mean, these trips really are well under for out-of-pocket expenses, not including all the crap you buy at the bait shop that you really don't need. You yes. know, you're talking um, if you have the license, under two hundred bucks for lodging, hundred and seventy-five, yep. hundred fifty for lodging, another. Th- 30 for grocery, group groceries, another 30 for your own snacks, yep. you know, 20 bucks for a case of beer, Yep. Um, 30 bucks for bait, probably for the group, you know, and then, and then there you are. It, it's always under 
always. I feel like gas is always a big part of it. Yeah, and, and so that's the we driving. do a lot of carpooling, so we split that. And our rule has always been the guy who drives doesn't pay for gas. Yes, that that's true. we've maintained that role for years, and th- because that guy's got the wear and tear on his car and such, so that's that's kind of how we've always done it. And then gas for sleds. Back when we started, we were so poor, we counted mantles. Like, well, I went through three mantles on the Coleman. Yes, line. that's gonna be a dollar seventy-five, and so we put that. I had forty we, put forty batteries put that for my into the kitty, yeah. and we split every dang thing because it was like we needed to to make it. But when you have four guys, it does help sometimes the economy there, right? Like yeah. something you wouldn't do because it costs five hundred, four hundred dollars. Maybe you do it because it's only $100 a piece. I mean, I've done, and this is off the winter trips, but I've done a number, I mean, a boundary water trips and Canada trips where, where every one of them have come in under 500 bucks. Every single yeah. one of them. Yeah. Because you're splitting gas, you're out in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you're cooking your own food, you're not shopping because there's nowhere to shop, you nope. know, and so you're not drinking because there's nowhere to drink. I mean, so you really, they're, they're very inexpensive. If, if you stay out of the resorts and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, Jason has a Prius, so even sometimes the gas gets cheaper. I, I drove the Prius to Canada over New Year's and went fishing. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> we went, to, Absolutely. We went to, to Duluth and did that in the Prius. You know, what did we spend? 35 My trip to Canada yeah. was less than 100 bucks in gas. Yeah, that's you awesome. Know, it was like $72. All right, so uh, Charlie from Connecticut, he, he uh, just sent some pictures in. Of some nice fish. He said they only have about six inches of ice, but um, they're later further down here. And there is a perch in this picture, Jason, that is really nice. Is this the one in Connecticut? Um, yeah. The, the, scroll down a little bit. I put the pictures in the wrong spot in the show notes. but Oh, that is a nice perch. A really nice, I know. And there's a bass. Some nice bass on the crappie. And a sandwich. I like it. Notice Eating a sandwich. There's a sandwich. Heck yeah. I like the, t- and, and the tip up in the background too. That's kind of that old kind of, it's got the kind of the cross, but it's got the spool underneath in the water where it should be to keep it from freezing. I would think that you would call that a fish trap. A fish trap. Yeah. Thanks for uh, sending that in Charlie. Um, this next guy is a great handle too. Zach wishing I was fishing. <laughs> I love it. I had to work on that one. I'm like, what is that? He sent in, um, Something about on Lakewood and Bago. We were talking about that polar plunge. Yeah, you know, yeah. Cut a hole in the ice. And so he said they do that on Lake Winnebago. So if you want to check that out, Google it. I will be staying out of the... You going to do that with me one lake. of these years? I mean, I went swimming tonight because I swim for exercise. And <laughs> and even the pool gets pretty cold this time yeah, of year. Yeah, that's I, not the question I asked. I don't know, Jay. I guess as long as I don't break my Achilles uh, again, the I can probably The last good idea I had caused... <laughs> A lot of issues for you. <laughs> if, if your good buddy asks you to do the tough mutter, think I twice. Know. I did it three times, man. Well, my Achilles only had one tough mutter in it. I think you give up too soon. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we so you're like, oh, you're right. fine. I'm like, I'm. Pretty I gotta sure tell a little I'm bit not. of this story. Can I tell just a wee bit? Yeah, I want to hear your perspective because so, I know how I was. I don't know. It. I mean, a lot of people. May or may not know what a tough mutter is, but this was back before they had the easy ones. This was ten miles of whatever. Thirteen was it? Thirteen? It was a lot. Or it was like twelve points? Yeah, something. something. Anyway, the, an obstacle. We were the second mud. to last obstacle was called. What was it called? Do you remember what it was called? It, well, it's. I don't know what it's called, but if you've ever seen 
American Ninja Warrior, they have this thing called the Warped Wall. It's basically a skateboard ramp, a quarter pipe. Yeah, but it's huge. Run up, huge, huge. A story tall. Yeah, it's really tall, and you got to like if if you run and you run out of traction, you're basically vertical. And if you're lucky, somebody throws an arm down, you grab hold of the arm, and you pull yourself up. If you have a friend, they would help you up. Correct. So we're a little tired at this point because it's towards the end. Anyway, Jeff, try. I think it was your second try. Anyway, yes. he kind of rolls. First try didn't make it because there was no friend down because none of us had made it up yet. And so he, he kind of lands in a pile, and we're like, "What happened?" And he's like, "Ah, my leg" or something like that. And yeah. so we get him up, and he just flops back down, and he's kind of there, quivering and flopping and shocky. I think. Anyway. We ended up getting up, and we went around that obstacle, and we, we carried him. But we didn't care. We, like, supported him. And we had one obstacle left, right, for between us and the finish line. We're like, Jeff, the electrical we're going to finish all of this together. And he's like, you could crawl. Jeff's like, uh. We're like, we're going to do this. And so we, we dragged Jeff through the electroshock thing at the end. And, of course, Jeff. So you got to explain this. So this is so the like, wires hanging down. And if they touch you, they shock you. It's called electroshock so you need therapy. To cr- yes. So you got to crawl through the mud low, <clears throat> and and, you, and try not to. And get you shocked. still get shocked. And Jeff's you still getting do. shocked, but he's not. He's kind of shocky anyway, so it might have helped him. But I could crawl because I couldn't really he could walk. Not walk. He could not walk. But we got. I him, ran twelve point nine miles or whatever it was, and the then end, I couldn't go any soft. further. And he got through yeah. the. He got through that, and we took him over to the medical tent. And I don't know what it says about an event when they have an orthopedic surgeon on staff with, <laughs> like, with his own ultrasound machine, like right there in the tent. So they ultrasounded his his Achilles. He just laying on the cot, and he's just groaning. And the guy's like, "Oh yeah, it's his Achilles." And we're like, "What?" And he's like, shows us on the ultrasound thing. He's like, "Look, if I grab his calf, you can see his Achilles." Twitching, and you, we could watch the little stump of the Achilles God. like flopping around on the yeah. on the ultrasound. Yeah, there was no doubt that that was busted. I don't think. Yeah, it was. I done. think your wife's still not happy with me over that deal. I will never do a tough mutter again. That was a one and done. <laughs> I did two more and after that. I always remember that story. Like I was on the ground, and it must have been you. I don't remember. Somebody's like, "You're fine. Get up." Yeah, that's like, probably me. No. Like you're fine. No, no, no. <laughs> Walk it off. This is not normal. Walk it off. What was funny, though, is then, like, later on, after you get over the craziness, um, you know, you go to the doctor, and they're like, well, you can't break it anymore, so yeah, well, walk on it until we fix it. That's what the guy said. <laughs> he, you know, he's like, and, you know, they did all the paperwork for you. It's not like you had to go to the ER or anything. No. Uh-uh. Just no, it was fine. just gave you a referral and said, yeah, it's torn. It's, it, it's, you're screwed, but and the next three months of your life will be a living hell. That was a rough. But, the, <laughs> the people in that tent were not in good shape. There was, there was, it was like a military triage tent. I mean, it was, the guys in there well, were in I seem to shape. remember a certain person didn't even do it with us because they wouldn't sign the waiver. That, my younger, the attorney, my yes. attorney brother. Yes. He's like, I ain't going because I'm not signing I'm that not waiver. I'm not doing that. He's like, so. why would I, why would I sign something that says they can basically kill me and it's not their fault? Yeah. But anyway, we were, it was fun we're though. We're way off fishing at this point. I don't even know how, yeah, I don't even it know was how we fun. got here. Oh, it was fun. Punch. We had a great time. I'm glad I did it, even though, I mean, I'm back. I can walk again. That's pretty awesome. So It is good. All right. All right. So, wow. Back at the ranch. Polar plunge. We're going to do minutes. that. We're going to do the polar plunge. So, Schmidt 599, another 
handle, uh, said he lost a northern on his tip-up. His line broke, and today he got his first pike and found the hook from the night before in his mouth. She won the battle, but I won the war. That's awesome. All right, we're going to do an abbreviated fishing report because I think maybe... Yep, that sounds yet. fine. We can do that. <laughs> you you wrote so, a really long fishing report. I know. I don't mess around. When I start going, my I just start writing. So uh, I was out last weekend and I'm relaxed, got my hard house out, my wheelhouse out, out in the first break. We didn't catch a fish. It was rough. Put my shack on one spot. Didn't. It was like the Dead Sea. Moved to another spot, was marking perch, but... Couldn't get them to bite. How do you know they were a perch? Um, they weren't big targets, and they didn't act like walleyes. They kind of come and go and look at your bait, and they were kind of small. Sure. You can kind of tell. Okay. They just acted like perch. Um, perchy. It's a good question. Um, I got some bites, and you know they do the perchy bite where they kind of nibble, and I guess if I had a camera, maybe I could have saw them and proved that they were perch, but I didn't have a camera. <laughs> so I will say it was a great time. Um one of my kids came with me. I always love when I can get them out there. And, and honestly, um, you know, I mean, I think the wheelhouses get a bad rap sometimes, but I do think they get people out fishing that wouldn't normally go, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's hardcore people that will sit in portable shacks and drive across the lake, and that's fine. But, you know, that doesn't have to be everybody's experience. So I, I enjoy it. Um, this weekend, I'm getting out again, and I'm going with a couple buddies, and they're not big ice fishermen, but, you know, they're excited to go because we get to watch playoff football in the ice shack while we fish so yeah that's pretty you know, cool it's, it's a different experience yeah, but it's it's not for everybody but it, it's i like it and this time of year on Malax, it's kind of you know we're in mid-season now right you're not going to get the walleyes on shore that are super aggressive you're going to get the roamers you're just out there waiting for them to swim by so cool so yeah Very cool jeff i'm um, glad you got out Got the, the rattle reels with catch covers. Um, catch covers are key with the kids, so you don't drop your stuff down the hole. I'll put a link on these because they're really nice. And I, I talked about these before, but those rattle reels and the catch covers are super awesome. I love mm-hmm. them. That's a neat, it's a slick outfit. Yeah, so I used them before. And then I used a Northland Glow Spoon. They were on sale two for five at Reed's. That's a great I love deal. Those things. Holy crap. I know. And then, so this is how you spend 50 bucks at the, the oh, bait yeah. shop, right? I mean, you're like, oh, yep, I need those, and I need a license for my ice shack, and I need bait, and there's 50 bucks. Gone. But, you know, two for five bucks for, you know, I don't, I couldn't resist. Yeah, so I used the Northland Glow Spoon and the Perch Talker Pink and Red. I got a few more of those. Two for five bucks. So Cool. That's my fishing report. I know you have a fishing report, too, I Jay. do. So I finally got out and did something. That well, I fished two days over this last weekend. I fi- I had Ooh, Monday nice. off. I fished Sunday and Monday, so Sunday was a bust, man. I didn't catch a thing. Mm. I did not even my Sunday was. The I same did way. not even mark a fish on Sunday. Welcome to my Sunday. so that was my Sunday. So Saturday Monday, I decided okay, I'm going to change location, and I finally got up the guts, and I hit the Mississippi River, and I've been wanting to do that. And I think I've talked about it on this show before that that's something I wanted to do. I, I tell you what what gave me the confidence to do it is, and I'm going to give a shout out to Murray's Outdoor Store in Guttenberg, Iowa. So great little tackle bait shop. Has a lot of great stuff there. Um, good bait, good prices on his lures, good selection. So certainly stop in there and support that if you're anywhere in the area. What that gentleman did is he had on his Facebook, he said, hey, 
If you're going to look out to fish the Mississippi River in this area, stop by the bait shop. We'll get you headed in the right direction. So I, was, I stopped in the morning. I pulled up my, my maps, and I said, this is where I'm thinking. He said, yep, this is where you access it. This is where you kind of should be looking to go in this area. Here's how you get there. Be careful over here. This is where some sketchy ice is. If you follow, you, there'll be a path where you want to go. Just follow the path, and you'll be in good shape. And I'm like, cool, I can do that. And so that's what I did. So I parked the car, um, walked a little over a mile to where I wanted to fish, pulling my shack. Walked towards the light. Followed the path. <laughs> and there was a lot of people there when I got there. There was probably 15, 20 people in this area. Um, they all left by two. Caught a lot of little fish. A lot of little fish. Had a good time, though. I mean, you know, when you go a whole day before without catching anything, you know, and they weren't, uh, they were making you work for it, too. They were not. They were not just hammering. I tried a whole bunch of lures. Um, I ended up, and I've used this lure quite a bit this year. It's a, a VMC um, jig, and it's a, like an ice fly, tungsten ice fly, and it's called the um, bullfly, VCM bullfly. Bullfly. And it's purple. Okay. It's got a purplish, it's not like a dark purple. It's kind of a, a two-tone, like a white, uh, like an off-white and purple. It probably glows, but it's got a little hair to it. It looks like a like a bug, like a I don't know. Anyway, v, VMC um, bullfly, and and that one I kept switching away from it, trying other things to see. You know, I tried um, a little uh, dropper jig with the plastic. I tried all day. I ran my second line all day. I ran a rattle spoon with a with a minnow because there's big northerns back in there, and I thought. You know, I'd like on my medium light rod to grab a northern. So I kind of kept one rod jigging for northerns. Yep. And really with the way they were biting, you couldn't really run two rods for panfish anyway. Yeah. Now you can run up to three lines, I think, in the backwater. So I could have run a tip up too, but it just, you know, at some point you can only manage so much. And I was moving a lot, so it was hard to to do that. But I tell you what... It, it- and sometimes I just want to relax and fish. Absolutely, and running multiple lines just yep, takes more it time. It does, and and so I had a great day. The weather was nice. Everybody left by the end of the day, and I tried a whole different section of river that I hadn't tried. And by the end of the night, it was just me, and I could look up and see like a half mile up the river in this backwater. Nobody was there. Watched the moon come cool. up over the trees. I put some pictures on Instagram. The pictures don't do it justice, but you know you're you're. I always forget that you don't have to go to northern Minnesota to kind of get that tranquility right. until, of course, the trains come by. But <laughs> because there's train tracks on both sides of the Mississippi. But it was really cool. And I'm really glad I went. You know, I don't have a monster fish story, but far as uh, being good for the soul and enjoying my outing, I had a great day. Beautiful day. Just out by myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, both of our stories, like, you know, not every time is going to be catching whoppers or but you know connecting being out there to get some some alone time which i like sometimes absolutely you know getting one of my kids out in the ice when sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do with electronics and so many other things going on so yeah for me it was you know know, breaking the seal on on getting confident enough to hit just try that mississippi river the the backwater and so now that i kind of got the lay of the land and and how that works i'm definitely going to be back and i'll probably stop through that through murray's store again and and uh it was a great day so that's my fishing report 
This is a highlight. I've been waiting this whole episode just to tell you about that trip. Meanwhile, we're telling horror stories of injury and... I know, we did get a little (laughs) off track. But, you know, in in pulling that, clam nanook that far was no joke either. Um, Yeah. I certainly felt that the next day. Guess It was no tough mudder. I'm three quarters of the way out there, and guess what wings by me coming the other way? A snow dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pulling two guys on shacks. They did not look tired. No, they were like... Yeah, they were just like a kid on a train. Me, I'm like, yeah. oh, am I there yet? I'm looking at my phone on the map. I, I think that might, I, I'm, I'm going to be looking at one of those. You know, but I think if I had had one, I probably would have moved around too much. Like I would have moved further, you know, because the next spot I wanted to go was like another half hour further away from my car. And at some point you're like, okay, it is now four o'clock. I've got an hour walk that will soon become dark. On the backwater yes. of the Mississippi, the first time I've been here by myself. Yeah, I should, right. So my my move at four was closer to the car, not further away. <laughs> so, well, especially when you didn't have a spot that was telling you it was better. Yeah. Else, right? Well, what so. I tell you, what I wanted to do is I was looking at my map. I was looking at my contour map because of the conversation with the guy at the bait shop. I did not bring my spud bar with me. Because okay. there was enough ice. There was a ton of ice. Sure. But then there was a spot where I could see the back channel backed up into that was yep. kind of a, a block or two from where I was. And I kind of eyeballed it. And I really, but nobody was over there. And I yeah. really wanted to check it out because it, we had a lot of ice where I was. But yeah. I didn't know exactly how far back the current came into there. Yep. And so I didn't have a spud bar. So I, I didn't do it, but now I want to go back yeah. and check that out. But I can't do it without a spud bar because... Because the fish are the place where you can't get to. Well, they're, you know, on the river, <laughs> what you're trying, I think what you're trying to do when you get out of the backwater, even in the backwater, is that you want to find that gentle current yet, but not sure. too much where you die or fall yeah. in, I, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's my theory. You know, I'm operating on theory, so don't take any of my advice. The people that went too far and died aren't here to tell us how I know. fishing was. All so. I would say is I didn't have my spud bar, so I stayed in safe areas where people had been, for the most part. Exactly. I wouldn't say 100%, Exactly. for the most part. <laughs> cool. Well, I think you need to do a whole episode on river fishing, because I can imagine it's very different I, than what we it do. It might be season 10 by the time I figure that out. So, but I, but like just reading the way the river works, just like you said, you know, you look for moving yeah, water. I, I don't even know if I'm right about yeah. that. That's my theory. Okay. I have a theory right. about well, that. Season ten, we'll get the maybe we'll get. Some, I'll probably get some fact checks on this, but yeah, yeah, I need to go with somebody that knows what they're doing. Is what I need to do. But in, in lieu of that, I shall do what I always have done: just plod forward. All right. So uh, gear, we're going to do a pretty short gear thing. Jay, I wanted to talk about one thing. So last episode, I mentioned that I had some sad minnows that I left in my bait bucket, and it was really stinky. Yes. Right? So I weighed the options. The first option was vinegar. Correct. To clean it out, to get rid of the smell. The second option was baking soda that I read about. And the third option was bleach. So I was a little worried about using harsh chemicals in the place where I put my bait and it dying. Right? Like, I read some things that said if you use bleach, it'll evaporate and whatever. Yeah. But I was like, I don't know. You know? So so I used vinegar because I decided that was kind of in the middle. Right? It's not really a chemical. It's natural. But, you know, it's look and kill fish if you want to. So I... Put some vinegar in the water, and it did get rid of the smell pretty well. 
But when I went to Reed's to get some bait, I'm like, he's like, oh, you put vinegar in here? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm like, I rinsed it out. He's like, oh, I don't know. But it was fine. The bait was fine. I just rinsed out after I put the vinegar in there. I mean, your worst I case mean, scenarios had, are pickled. Right. Eat them for I lunch. Had some, I had some shiners die, but guess what happens? The shiners, shiners have no will bucket. to live. <laughs> yeah, they don't. So, so I had bait for two days, so it seemed like it worked. I mean, you know, I'm not recommending this. Choose your own adventure because this is what worked for me. It may or may not no, you work for use, you. Did you use the baking soda, though, with the vinegar? I didn't. Not together because I didn't want to make a mess. Um, so my bait bucket doesn't smell as bad, and I cleaned it out. Well, good um, for you. I did rinse it out afterwards, you know, I mean, and, and it seemed to not harm harm anything except for those shiners that have no will to live yeah so i, I think that's i all i had for gear for updates this week so jay do you want to introduce our uh, our guest tonight yep so we're going to interview and talk with roger from roger's rigs um he's been a fishing fanatic since he was old enough to hold a rod he fished in the adirondacks of northern new york he started with brook trout bass and bullhead tied his own flies in the winter um and then once he was tall enough to handle an auger started jigging perch and pan fish through the ice. So we're going to get to talk to Roger. Tonight on the Hardwater Fishing Show, we have Roger Hulk, who is a avid perch fisherman. So Roger has been freakishly obsessed with ice fishing since childhood. And his passion is about helping people catch more fish, especially uh, newbies. Roger also began Roger's rigs to help ice fishermen equip for the most productive perch rigs and jigs and teaching ways to use it so and roger along with his wife and three girls also hosts an ice fishing teaching youtube channel called roger's rigs welcome roger to the show and we're glad to have you on fun to be here awesome so uh roger we we, we have a few questions for you we kind of want to go through so kind of the first one we usually like to talk about and, and you kind of even talked about it in your bio but how did you get started in ice fishing I had an unwell childhood where I just somehow got connected to ice fishing and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And instead of that stabilizing, it's been on this strange upward cycle since then. So I started obsessed and I got more so. And particularly, and I love, I love eating perch. Like that was a big part of it. I love, I love frying the fried perch as a thing. I grew up, as soon as I got a driver's license, we went to this Lake Champlain, which was actually one of the great lakes for like, three weeks disqualified it but it was a perch fishing just insane fishery and we would go there my buddies and i would go there every weekend catch buckets of perch in 15 feet of water on mud flats over and over just wash wow. rinse, repeat, over and over again till like i would close my eyes and see my bobber as I'd go to sleep, I'd see the bobber in the hole and I'd cry when the ice went away and be waiting for the coldest days coming. Uh, but the, the weird thing is I learned that lake well, but it wasn't very hard. And then I went to other lakes later on and tried to apply the same stuff. And I got outfished horribly all the time. And that, uh, that really, that's kind of where I started. I got into the science of the fish. I tried to figure out what I was doing wrong. And I learned once you go down that rabbit hole, it just gets crazy. And I learned so much. And I'm a stonemason in the summer. So the winters, I, I, I don't work. I fish. And, and I tried to legitimize that with my wife to make it into something of a business so I could explain why I was ridiculously spending 80 hours a week 
either studying fish or, or uh, practicing my research and development is what I called ice fishing. Yeah, I like that. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. good. That's well done. Uh, and it just expanded. And then like the YouTube thing started. I did this one ice fishing, or one how to fillet a perch video in my long johns in my basement. And it basically, it went uh, fairly much viral, which started like a bunch of things. And now I've, and I've re- my passion really is like trying to get people that you know their father didn't take them fishing and they go mm-hmm. out on their own and the the uphill climb that they have is so much different than the i don't know what your background is but like when you grow up in it there's just so much you just know and think everyone knows and you mm-hmm. realize they don't you know they're using 10 pound test line and a giant clip swivel with a jig <laughs> and wondering why they never catch anything and then and then they give up fishing and take up heroin because like that's <laughs> So my like my passion and it really clicked. So especially with the YouTube community, all these people were like, "Hey, I, I used this what you said, and I started catching fish, and I would do whatever it took to try to, you know, keep them from heroin." So I mean, and that's the this deal. This addiction is not that much better. <laughs> if, you have a pa- if you have a passion for fishing, you can't afford to dabble in heroin. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you just don't. You don't have the money because you're like, right. right. Uh, <laughs> Um, I watched uh, what a couple of your YouTube videos, and I'm digging into those. Before we're headed out to uh, North Dakota, where they have a lot of perch fishing. He's a yep. perch expert. I think this is actually going to come together nicely. So I'm trying to learn some stuff from you. So why why do you think you connected with perch? Was that because that was your first kind of on, on the lake you were fishing? That was the species, or it's definitely the prevalent species. I mean, if we had walleye, I'd probably be crazy about walleye. But for me too, like I'm a I'm, I'm particularly, I guess, practical or whatever, but I'm not a trophy fisherman. That's not my thing. It's a volume over a quantity over quality. And I, you know, lake trout are kind of the big, that's the big fish, or you could catch pike around here, but lake is a big deal. So you catch a laker and it is fun, especially on the backslide. Now they blow up and they hammer that thing and you have this great fight and you get all that adrenaline. And then, you know, you cut a laker, you might keep it. or You're probably going to throw it back. And and to me, I've discussed it like, so you get one adrenaline hit there or every 35 seconds, another perch bites and you get another little drip of endorphins over and over and over. I, I didn't realize how bad of an addict I am until you get me talking about it. But yeah, I, I feel like to me, the the small over and over is just better. And 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 I'm big on I don't go for trophy perch. I'd rather catch a bunch of seven to nine inches. I think that's the, I think that's actually better for the population. Mm-hmm. It's better mm-hmm. eating. And it's, and if we can find joy in that, I think there's a lot to be gained in that zone. But, and that's where purge came in. Oh, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think that's people enjoy going. I just did this the other day. I finally went, got out and I had a couple of dry spells and I, I got on a bunch of small fish. Yeah. But I caught fish all day. Yeah, and it was it was great. It was great. And I, Jeff didn't catch any. I did not. He was doing I, his own, and he he did not have the same smile I had. So yeah, I, you're I, right. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, it was um, a tough weekend last weekend for me, for sure. Oof. You were targeting a, a a bigger rush. 
Uh, well, we were looking for some walleyes, but we didn't find yeah. them. So, although I think I saw perch and I probably could use your tips because I could see them on my, my Vexlar. Actually, I have a hummingbird, but I couldn't get them yeah. to bite. So, yeah. So what advice would you have given Jeff? Yeah. So what time of day was it? So when we were, were there overnight. The so, but the, when I was seeing the perch, it was probably mid morning. Yeah. And was it a clear day or a a cloudy day clear day warm day yep clear day yeah so i mean that's probably my i kind of have like five different big keys and that's a big one of them is clear days are usually a high pressure day i believe and i'm sure you guys have discussed this too like barometric pressure relating i believe it's particularly to perch particularly the female perch is dramatic their air uh Sack is a sealed system more so than most it takes like six hours for them to change that pressure so a steady barometer often so the standard condition overnight the barometer is often fairly steady first light they're crazy hungry and their guts are are well established and well and there's a massive feed for that 45 minutes to an hour first light on a bright sunshiny day now the pressure starts to spike up and I've watched, I've did a lot of uh, watching them on the underwater camera. It's like watching the football, you know, the, the tape of the last game or whatever. And I've watched as that pressure rises, the fish just settle down the glass ceiling. I call it like if you watch them on the, on the flash or as you lift that fish and he follows your bait and then all of a sudden he falls off and he just won't break through that. Yeah. I think that's a setup of the barometric pressure that their their physical their body won't get won't function after that height. Huh. So my theory is like had you fished earlier and if you'd found perch, remember where you see that action, even if it didn't bite. Right. And go right. back there at that golden hour, first thing in the morning, usually. Or like if there's three days of high barometric pressure, their bodies have adjusted fine. Sure. And it's like sure. I prefer steady. Everybody wants that just before the storm. And, and my, I mean, my data, of course, everybody's data is skewed. So I, I pretty much every time that theory doesn't work, I disregard it. <laughs> that's, that's pure science, I believe. But <laughs> I, I think it's far better to have three days of high pressure bluebird days. That's okay. Low pressure days. I'm not crazy. I'm certainly not crazy about when it goes from low to high. Sure. Most years, Particularly this year, I've fished, I've fished 15 out of the last 20 days, and I've been watching it. And the lake I'm working, they're following my theory pretty well. But like Lake Champlain, they, they actually have a marketable population of perch. So you sell them by the pound, and people, I don't know, they, they say they live off it. I think most wow. Of well, I mean, they're getting their beer money off of it, which is what's keeping them alive, <laughs> maybe. But uh, <laughs> but they so so I I went to the fish market where they're buying and selling fish. I know the guy pretty well, and I said, "What have you seen? Like on a crazy change of barometric, are you buying a lot more meat?" And then I had, threw out this whole theory, and he stopped me. He's like, "Roger, no." He's like, "I've been doing this for thirty years." He goes, "The fish bite when they want to bite, and they don't bite when they don't want to bite, and you're not going to break that." <laughs> and that is true. Like it's a complex system. I mean, there's probably 700 factors involved, but there's definitely, if anything I can say connects it the most, it seems like there's something about that barometric and certainly about the, the daily variations that the purchase, they don't bite all the time. We assume they're just nibblers all the time, and that is not their personality. 
so that'd be my first thing. If you're seeing a whole bunch of rise and drops, yep. that's yeah. likely it. What we've what we've shown them. Um, so we, I usually, I was using a tungsten dropper for a while. I also was using like a, a I was fishing for walleyes at the time. So yeah. I yeah. had on like a, a glow spoon or something kind of bigger for a perch, but I've got perch on it before. And there's, so that's my secondary thing. And I and probably second in priority is the size of your bait on a day when the bait, well, two things, if they're, if they're feeding on minnows, like if it's a yep. minnow lake which I've heard like Lake of the Woods, you know, I check the fish's stomachs all the time. And if you're sure. finding natural forage minnows in them, their bite is going to be more aggressive. They're going to be more willing to bite the bigger spoons and everything because they're accustomed to that. Lake George, which is the queen of American lakes, that's where I fish most of the time. It, they, there's zero predation on minnows that I've ever seen. And I have I flay a thousand perch a winter and I check their stomach. I've never seen a natural minnow in one of these fish's stomachs. Mm-hmm. They feed and they get, I'm not huge, but they get decent size and they feed almost exclusively on these uh, freshwater shrimp or scuds that are working okay. in the grass. So their whole being is eating something smaller than the smallest tungsten you could ever show them. Even a tungsten is almost. Like I want to, you know, I'm going to eat a Dorito really easy, right? And I'm going right. to think before I eat a Christmas turkey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I really think scaling backwards mm. to the smallest thing, and I'll do like a tungsten with a size twelve nymph dropper up above. Wow. And, and I've catch the majority of the fish that we catch in this area in this fishery with this food base is on flies maybe. And if, and I even, I treat my, my Halley or my chain jig or my tungsten almost as the attractor that might make the commotion to draw them in. But I seal the deal on the closest thing that the Dorito as I can, like the, the little scud or the little nymph. That is such a, it, it's interesting how the different areas have different techniques yeah. to, to fish. And, and, um, we had interviewed, um, Jeff helped me with his name. Another gentleman from kind of the eastern side over there. Colby? The name. Colby. We interviewed Colby, who guides um, over that way. And he talked about using ice, fly, you know, flies yeah. as well, ice fishing. And that's something is just starting to, I think we're starting to hear it around the Midwest, but, but obviously a lot better established in your area. Yeah. And that was another thing that happened in my long johns on my couch is like everybody around here they use what we call a fly rig which is usually like a pretty heavy dropper on the bottom a weight just a basic weight on the bottom and then up a ways you got your first dropper coming out with a a size 12 five and then eight inches higher another fly and those are usually on little tag lines that that come off on the main line that's what like oh that's what those pros the guys that are you know catching literally seven buckets of perch a day out there. Wow. That's what they're dropping and they're hammering with. So I thought everybody did that. And I, and I, I adjusted it because I really, that's like with the barometric pressure and everything, I feel like the, the strike zone for perch varies sometimes inches per day. And it's vital to be in that strike zone. So if I can get the weight on the bottom to settle the same place and I can adjust where that goes, so I just, that, that's the drop shot, the slide shot of yep. clip swivel unit that's, you know, bass fishermen use. I adjusted that and I worked that into the system. 
And <laughs> again, like I, I was so amazed. I had a bunch of kids that needed diapers changed and I wanted to come up with something else to do in the winter. So I, <laughs> I took a picture of this fly rig with the adjustment, you know, the fine tuned fly rig. I made it on P line fluorocarbon. So it was like optimal 15 pound test. So it held the lines just out and I put it on eBay. I'd never sold anything on eBay. And the next like day I tried to find it and I couldn't find it. Like, ah, oh, shoot, I can't, I didn't put it up right. It sold in like 10 minutes. Wow. <laughs> because mo- it seemed like the vast majority of the Midwest hadn't seen them before. Mm-hmm. I saw like 4,000 of them that winter. I had carpal tunnel syndrome <laughs> going to try to make these things like because and, and it was the right match for some of it. But what it, do you see a lot of minnows in your perch or are they are they spitting up minnows when you bring them up or? Um, I would say, so I've recently, actually, I fish, uh, Malax Lake is the fish lake I fish yeah. a lot. And I would say we've actually just seen the, the perch kind of coming back for me. Um, they've been gone for a long time. It's a big walleye fishery. And I think the walleyes kind of wipe them out they, to be perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah. Um, but they seemed like they're back this year. So I catch them with small spoons, which would probably be like a yeah. turkey dinner as you had described it. Right. Yeah. Um, the other experience we have, we're going is devil's lake and there they eat a lot of those crayfish. I think you're talking about, right. I mean, that's what we've seen them eat. They may be mm-hmm. even bigger. Cause I remember them and that's what we would see there with the crayfish. But I would say on, on Mille Lacs, where I fish a lot, they're eating like bugs, like it's mud, yeah. right. We're out in mud yep. flats, muddy. Yep. And there's so many little almost microscopic bugs right and that's really what they eat yeah and that's all the creepy crawlies that emerge in the summer they're spending the winter in that nice little squishy mud that's keeping them incubated yep and that's what we would do on lake champlain there'd be mud flats covered and that's what those fish are after we'd use a two ounce crippled hair it's an ocean lure and they made them in perch color it was huge and that would be your bottom flasher and then three or five inches up, you'd have your first fly and another fly. And you'd pound that crippled herring into the mud, look just mm-hmm. like a perch that had found something good. And that drew in all the other ones. And you'd lay it flat and they'd hit the, we get doubles like very, very you gotta give that, like you gotta give that a try up there in Mille Lacs, Jeff on the flats. Yeah, yeah I definitely do. I mean, really, it's not like you're catching walleyes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if I can do both, Cause it's hard to keep people interested both. when you're like stare at a hole for eight hours and you might get one fish, right? Like, right. And there's a side benefit. Like if you're fishing, I like to gear down and get success, but if you're, if you're getting a bunch of perch action, you're likely to draw the predators, which in your area would be the wildlife for us. It's the Lakers and the pike, but it's very, very common that after you've gotten that hole, you know, literally hundreds of perch working around you now that that's going to bring in the rest of them. Hey, what's going on? And I've caught, I've caught nine pound Lakers on them size 12 flies. Wow. They just want to get in on the action. That that is just, I I love the, the fact it's like a tactic that we really haven't discussed on this show in all these years about using a heavier lure to draw in and then you having the flies up higher. I, I'm trying, I'm trying to, th- I'm sitting here trying to think, Jeff, about, we always, we've talked before about the complexity of fishing laws and rules. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think about the number of hooks and lines and if that accounts for some of the, because there's big right. crappie rigs that people will use with multiple lines and those aren't legal in a lot of states. And so I'm not sure. Anyway, so I, the only reason I yeah. say that is, as always, listeners of the show, make sure you understand the rules and laws in your states. And if you can do what Roger's saying, I would certainly give it a try. So I know we might not be able to use multiple flies on the line, but I know for sure we can use a dropper rig where one, you have one you use, and you have the fly. Yeah, um, it's, and, yeah. A lot of the states, it's a regulation of the distance between the two points. In some states, you cannot have two hooks and two no. points that are separated at all. And I think... Uh, yeah, I can't quote, don't quote me, but I think it's, it's eight inches in a couple of states. And that's why I tie those rigs at eight inches apart. Okay. Uh, and, and, or you can just, I mean, your flasher doesn't have to have a hook on it at all. That's nothing but just mud, working up the mud mm-hmm. and, and you could just do anything. I mean, you could just do a, a, a small minnow up above there or something. I don't know if that yeah, might be something that's... different. I'm absolutely going to have something like that ready to go for devils, Jeff. Uh, me also. I mean, I mean, I don't want to and be then, the guy who doesn't catch fish. <laughs> I mean, I know it, it's not, it's not, it's not the best. So when you're, when you're out um, looking, and I don't know how often you fish new areas to you, but if you're trying to target and figure out, okay, where do, where do they live? How do you, you know, looking at lake maps or using your camera or your, your flasher, how do you, figure out where start to figure out where they live in a lake yeah so my recommendation there like if you fish it in the summer you know start there wherever you found perch in the summer might be a spot to start in the winter in the winter i mean you know this area is fairly populated so there's if there's fish somebody's found them and they're fishing them so you kind of have to kind of start following the crowd but you follow the crowd you realize there's fish there and say okay what's the elements What's the bottom? Is it mud flats? Around here, it's either mud flats, grass beds, or or cabbage weeds. Figure out what that bottom is and figure out what that depth is, and then try to duplicate that somewhere else on your own and try to find the place that everybody hasn't hammered. And that's a big deal. And we have a few fisheries that just I can't find the end of the fish. I mean, wow. If you say this too much on too many national shows, we might, uh, we might find the end, but I mean, literally one of the spots, public parking lot, not that far off of of a walk. We took a thousand perch there one season. I looked up and within not that far of me, there was 300 fishermen on a Saturday. And it looked to me like everyone was catching them just about as fast as I was. And that was like weeks upon week. And the last day I, I took my buddy out there because he had just got back from college. I'm like, it's hot. We got to hit it. This is the last day after literally, I don't easily 50,000 perch have been taken out of this one bay. We went out and limited in like 30 minutes. Like wow. still fish wow. there. And I put the underwater camera down. You just see these schools going through. However, when we went back to shore, there was, there was uh, open water. We had to use boat, but. <laughs> See, we've I been there think, before i don't think we have populations like that in well, our, you may in our not be your walleye yeah. See, we just don't have walleyes and that very well could be just changing mm-hmm. the balance so they've just yeah. and mostly turned into a feeder fish in most lakes yeah it's a whole different ecosystem well and especially cool. like mille Lacs where i fish and like i said they're starting to come back but like 
we have pretty heavy duty regulations on how many fish you can keep. So the walleye population is really, I would, I mean, I don't, I would think it would be higher because of the limits are so low. And so, yeah, they probably, I think they do that. That's their forage. Right. So. Yeah. So it sounds like you eat a lot of perch. Yes. So tell me, give me your, your top two ways to prepare perch. Well, I, I do have one story though. The first, when I heard about you guys, I started, I found your podcast okay. and I was like, perfect. Cause I'm, I'm filleting perch anyways. I'm just going to press go. So I listen to you guys as I fillet and then I go to the kitchen and you guys just started talking about what your favorite method was. And I think it was you, Jason, uh, you're like, I like fish tacos and I'm making fish tacos. And then I turn over and I'm, I'm slicing the red cabbage. And you're like, and I like to add some red cabbage in. I'm like, this is that was me. <laughs> that was me. I love fish tacos. Well, it was quite creepy that you're talking about <laughs> the red cabbage while I'm slicing the red cabbage. But, yeah, that, that is wonderful. But uh, I mean, all, all out, I'm a, I'm a breaded and fried in peanut oil. Like, and I, it's probably not the healthiest, but if I could eat that every single day, I'd be happy. And, and my kids love it. My wife loves it. Like it's a big family. Everybody seems to love it. And, I, my, my breading's a little wild. I do, uh, I guess the biggest secret ingredient is it's panko, it's uh, uh, breadcrumbs, a little bit of cornmeal, but the biggest trick is the powdered lemonade mix. Powdered wow. lemonade mix? Powdered lemonade mix in the breading, which adds a little bit of lemon and a little bit of sweet to it. Okay. Uh, and then I, when I dip it beforehand, my egg wash is egg and ranch dressing so i hit it in that first then in that crumbly goodness and then fried in that peanut oil and yeah that sounds <laughs> really good uh, so we're we, mm, it's going to be a supper time have you tried the dots pretzel stuff at all do they have dots pretzels out there no okay it's actually so, you grind it or you well they actually so many people were doing that now they sell it in like a bag already ground up, ready to I go. Gotta look that up. So dot, dots pretzels, and and they make actually like a bread coating, and that is, um, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty mm. good stuff too. I like I like with the lemon. So lemon, what do you? It's lemon. Powder, it's a country time powdered lemonade. Okay, mix. got it. Not a whole lot, maybe a teaspoon in yeah. the in the batch of breading. Okay, it, it seems to do some magic, and I add a little cumin, which. I just always do that. I, I think it does something. It gets lost in there, I think, but it's, I think there's yes. magic. So you're like, you're like grandma. You're not going to give the whole recipe at once. You got <laughs> <keep, laughs> to keep talking to you about it. And you're like, oh, oh it's yeah, just a little this. bit of this and a little bit oh, of that. that yeah. Oh, that's this, this is really. That's kind of how I make it. So that's kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I, do actually, like. I did make a YouTube video of the whole thing and I, I laid it all out. Um, okay. I'm going to have to hit that up yeah. before we go on our trip. Yeah. For the for your upcoming year, what are what do you have for goals for yourself for fishing? What what are you looking to do, accomplish with your ice rest, rest of your ice fishing season, yeah. moving into next year? Uh, so like my my happiest time is taking a kid that's never caught a fish or never caught fish through the ice and getting them catch up fish, and I like to get at least ten of those a year, 
And I got one uh, two days ago. It was awesome. He was 13 years old. He had caught one sunfish when he was a little kid one time. And he wrote a paper about the sunfish. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was a little nerve-wracking because of barometric pressure. Fortunately, my theory didn't work that great because it was in the <laughs> middle of the afternoon on a sunny day. But I uh, took him out of this plastic semi-portable ice anything, and I took him out in there. I mean, and then the amazing thing about kids now is they can read Vexlars within minutes. Their minds just work for that technology. And he was, I'm pretty sure I just made an addict like in 15 minutes. <laughs> so that was a big win. So I, and I've got a couple other kids uh, and I've actually gotten a couple, a couple adults into it this year that, that, uh, that probably won't be finding a new addiction anytime soon. Cause they're stuck <laughs> on this one. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's uh, cool. I, I do have like every year I shoot for a thousand perch because we eat and I give away a lot of perch, but we, we need about that to get through a normal year cycle. I don't keep fish in the summer and I pretty much don't keep anything but perch. So getting that packaged and in the freezer, otherwise, yeah, just another. Yeah, so, so, so when you clean a perch, do you do anything different than like, I guess, you know, if I think of a walleye, you know, we flay them out and, um, you know, do the skinning. Um, is it pretty much a fillet? Is that how you clean them? Yeah. So it's a clean, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, but, I, and that's, that's particularly uh, geographic, like the, the butterfly fillet or the leave the skin on and leave and, and scale them and everything. I didn't even know that was a thing till, till the internet showed me that there's oh, other ways wow. to do it. But yeah, so we pretty much, it's a, you know, two fillets per fish and we've taken the skin mm-hmm. completely off in my okay. area. Uh, and I do it a little squirrely. I, I cut the head off and I slide my knife along the spine on top of the rib cage, like stick it into the hilt and pop it out, which is, you know, that's a lot easier to see than to describe. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know that. And, and I fillet a lot of small purge, you know, the sevens and eights. Right. It All used right. to be if it's nine, it's mine was the biggest thing. And then I, I've been pushing if it's eight, it's great. And and then I've also said that if it's seven, the fish could go to heaven. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I'm not sure that six is worth your time, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> make soup. I always say make soup. You gotta make yeah. soup. Yeah. Well well and when I was a kid, I mean the few fish I actually caught, because yeah. I'm amazed I'm an ice fisherman because I didn't catch very many fish when I was a kid. But um, you know, before I learned how to flay them, we used to just cut the heads off and and get the the Go scales off, and you would just cook them that scale. way, right? Yeah. We used to I, we used to scale hundreds of panfish when I was a kid in the summers with my grandpa. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. He'd come back with with a whole pail of fish, and all his kids would be around just shooting scales for for hours. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember when they learned, someone showed him how to flay a flay a panfish. Yeah. And once, once he started doing that, that they never scaled another one, never yeah. scaled another one. They'd always just flame them out. And off I do go. feel like a small fish, it is easier. The really small ones. If you want, you know, like if you do the scaling method, it, it seemed like you got more from those little ones, you know, like a, with, a sunfish, like yeah, and versus, bluegill and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Did you never scale perch? Did you, Jeff? N- no, no, no. Okay. I don't think no. you can even do that. 
Is that a thing? I'm sure you can. Oh, it's a, it's a big thing. Like, <laughs> okay. I bet you more fish, more perch are scaled in the United States than skinned. There's drums, big drums. You put all the perch, a bunch of perch, a bucket of perch in the drum, and you roll them, and the scales just just agitate off, and then they take it out. That's how they're commercially processed a lot. Huh. And I, I think there's something significant about like this whole realm of questioning because the the joy that comes from catching a edible fish is contingent on the ability to fillet it. And, and almost you got to learn to enjoy to fillet a fish too. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen lots of people like they are so sad that they have eight fish in their bucket because now they got to make a giant mess <laughs> and they're going to butcher two of the eight of them. And why am I doing this? And I just wish I pike fish today and release something. You know? You're you're uh, not wrong. I mean, you're not yeah. wrong. We've had those conversations where you, you keep the one and you're like, ah. Oh. I've only caught one fish. Yeah. Now I've got to do something with this fish. <laughs> yeah. And then yet you, you search your soul a little bit. You're like, I don't <laughs> think it's going to make it. We have to flay it or it's, yeah. it's no amount of revival is going to make this fish come back to life. So no, you're right. That, Roger, that, that's a, a very astute point for sure. And I've, and we like my buddy and I just, we've caught fish for a long time together and the both of us do enjoy the flaying just as much as sitting on the bucket and catching them. Like we get, I would definitely, I've been listening to your podcast. We used to listen to TED Talks. And we, were, and we had this thing, like we'd be sitting there with that seven and a half inch perch in our hand. Like, should we keep this? And we'd say, oh, smarter with every fish because we'll learn something on TED Talks. <laughs> the smarter with every fish. And, <laughs> That's awesome. Well. I, I'm sure if they listen to this interview and you're a fish perch, or perch fisherman, you're you're going to learn some stuff today for sure, or you're probably right. have. So we can hope. And there may be a bunch of people hating the whole idea of keeping a perch, which, and there is something like I don't believe in trophy perch fishing. I think that's really not the healthy. If you're going to be keeping a bucket of 14 inch perch, it's like not a good mm-hmm. practice. Uh, a 14 inch perch. Even in Devil's Lake, I think a 14-inch perch is 10 years old. Wow. In, wow. in my area, when they're feeding on those little nymphs, a 14-year perch is 14 years old. Wow. An 8-inch wow. perch is roughly 8 inches, 8 years old. So, so hammering a bunch of big ones, the, the, the likelihood of that 14-inch, its eggs have a much higher likelihood of being a successful. The fry is more likely to come to maturity. It's got good genetics and, uh, and it's, if you can, and the thing is like, if you learn the surgery well with the flay knife, you can get the same yield out of that seven inch perch as, as you can sloppily running through it with electric knife on a nine incher. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's a lot of, there's a lot of opinions there. And I really do think that changes from lake to lake and fisheries. Like I'm, I'm, I don't want to just say, hey, everybody kill every bird you see. You're right. Well, it, it's, it's about fishery. And I, I think that's another good point that, yeah. you know, and, and we talked about this on our show last week, actually, or two weeks last week. Last week. Um, about knowing, you know, keeping fish and according to the fishery you're on. And that's right. different for every fishery. Yeah. And, you know, so the one Giron, it makes perfect sense to be able to keep and take out that many fish. Yeah. It doesn't affect the fishery negatively, but it might 
in another area. So, yeah. so that, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, should we get back to tactics just for one quick sec and then we'll make it, yeah. see if we can, see if we can make them, see if you can tell us a good story. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So. Oh, what's the next burning question I have? How do we help Jeff catch more perch? I think we've talked about that a little bit. <laughs> we, we covered that. I think I've, I'm trying it this weekend. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do it. Oh, I know. I remember what I was going to ask you. We, we taught, you were talking about time of day and barometric pressure. And then you shared a little bit how you took this kiddo out in the middle of the day. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people don't get to pick when they can fish. They yeah. can fish when they can fish. They don't get yeah. to decide I'm going to go because the barometric pressure is good. So what right. advice would you have to try to, 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 to break through when, when it's unattractive far as barometric pressure or sunshine or time of day? What's like a, a, a yeah. what are some options? So when you're feeling bloated, what are you most likely to eat? <laughs> you're going to eat something tiny. That's, and you're not going to work hard for it. So that would be like, they're not very active. It seems like it's high pressure. I, I, I'm out here. I know I'm on top of perch. I got to reset my, my hopes. You know, it's not going to be the, I'm not filling the bucket, but I'm going to get these dumb things or at least a couple of them. Yep. So then I gear down like the smallest tungsten and I really try to go, the microplastics have gone like better than most of the things you can throw at them. Huh? So uh, have you seen the microplastics that mm -hmm. are like under a half inch long? They're just tiny and yep. they're as nymph looking as possible. And they're filled with the scent. But that's another thing. And I have, you know, Science is, is all just lies anyways, I think. But, but somebody, <laughs> somebody wrote and I read that a yellow perch has a better sense of smell than a bloodhound dog. And, and I okay. imagine you can say any. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you, how do you know? You can't yeah, test. You can't like put them against each other in a test. <laughs> right. Right. So therefore you can say it and, and get away with it. But I've seen a lot of times. On my underwater camera, the perch comes up and it straight up looks to me like it's giving it a sniff test. And it's you got to check a couple boxes before he commits. And if you don't have some sort of a scent going, there's there's like a whole blind part that that you likely get rejected. So so if I'm on if I'm on a slow bite on picky fish, I want to make sure I got probably the smallest tungsten I can. I'm using two pound test, maybe three pound test light line. And uh, and that probably a microplastic, and I'll still poke like a single grub. I'm almost always a single grub on things, not a, not five of them, because all I needed that for was to add a little bit of sniff to it and try to keep everything as light and a clean presentation. None of these the big clips will drive me nuts. The the gaudy, so many people got like too much going on or heavy line. You you know. <laughs> Six and eight pound test is bad. Ten pound is like criminal. Like, <laughs> not, not gonna get anything. What do you? What pound uh, test do you use? So on my, you know, I've got fifteen big poles that I take every time and twist them all together. But uh, so it, on my tungstens, I'm using a using a three pound copolymer line. I sometimes I'll do two, but some days I just get frustrated because you can, you know, two with the knot weakness and everything, you're doing a one pound test line. Wow. Things go wrong, you know? uh, so I'll use a three pound on that. And then I use a four pound 
clear blue original strand. I know it's cheap line, but man, that stuff is, it's, it's proven itself to me so many times. I use four pound for my searching line and my heavier jig. Like I use that, what we call a chain jig, which is, you know, the Halley jig type thing. Uh, that on my four pound test line. Okay. Do you, you were talking about smell, sense of smell on a perch. So there, there's always been around like the different lotions and potions, like the, the spray, yeah. Billy, yeah. I mean, and then I've noticed these plastics. Um, a lot of the ones I've gotten recently have a licorice smell. Yes. To them. Yeah. So which smell do you think the perch prefer? Ooh. I'd just be lying if I answered. I just believe you have to have a smell. That was a hard, that wasn't yeah. a fair question, but I thought I'd see if you answered it. Well, I could have probably thrown something at you, but it would just be made up. Yeah, I think it's oil of anise. That, that's that liquor smell, and that seems mm -hmm. to be what they... And there's something about that oil, actually, that does have an attraction to animals. Like, universally, it, I think it has, a, like, a giant question mark in it that draws them in. My father was a muskrat trapper, and oil of anise was a a big thing for muskrat and it just seemed like every animal just had to give that a sniff okay uh, and maybe that's why they use it in the plastic i'm sure somebody did that science and they seem to have landed on that and we have like the smelt spray smelt is a big forage out here and they have a very unique smell like we say mm -hmm. it smells like cucumbers bizarre so you know my wife does that she she'll put the smelt she'll spray the microplastics with the smelt spray and then say haha that's why i'll fish you and, <laughs> it's just because she's better but <laughs> awesome right. so Jeff, i think do you have any uh, more questions or are you do we no have, I, I think jeff's my good. time my time master yeah here, i so. think um i think we're ready for the legend or story or story well, so if you we have roger it, the legend on so sometimes i know Rod, you are the legend of so. perch the perch pimpling so. for perch we learned that when we talked to our swedish guy yeah i didn't know pimpling meant just fishing yeah. kind of lazily. <laughs> and we use Swedish pimples a lot. But And if I say pimpling, I'll just get beaten around here. <laughs> we don't uh, want that. We don't want that. No, yeah. I heard it on a I heard it on the fishing show. It's a real yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. Pimpling. Get down. Get back down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The legend. Uh well, we'll try this one. Uh, it's not yellow perch. I mean, I, I love yellow perch, but I love that that dopamine drip. So I watch on YouTube, and these guys are onto these white perch near the Canadian border in Vermont. To the point, like the guy made the YouTube video. He hates the white perch. He's like they're an invasive species. They've monkeyed up our whole bay. This is what we're doing, and he showed seven hundred pounds that he and his buddy caught in a day of these white perch. Come on up and try. So I email, I, I contact him through YouTube, real friendly guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm serious. Come on up. I'll show you. We're catching them like crazy. So I get my buddy. We go drive three hours up there. We buy out of state licenses. We go to the place we're supposed to meet him. He's not there yet. So we go out on the ice. He's still not there. He's not answering his phone. We start jigging. We're catching yellow birds about two and a half, three inches long. And my buddy's pretty grumpy. Because <laughs> <laughs> he drove three hours, yeah. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, this, this is the area. It's, it's a real thing. They're, they are doing it. And then my phone rings. And the guy's like, hey, I see you out there. You got to come into this bay. Come in a little shallower and you'll meet up. 
super friendly. Like he like took his jig out of his hole. He's like, use this hole right here. We drill. <laughs> it's four feet deep. And the, yeah, the white perch are the bottom two feet is a blanket of white perch. The average size is 13 inches. They're like bats. And they were using bibbits. Have you heard of bibbits? They're the most embarrassing lure. Like if I saw, and I did. So I straight up, I feel like I'm the super fish nerd. So I look at what they're using. Like these guys are idiots. This is the, it's a lead booger with a, with a horrible hook that's bent into itself with no barb halfway poking out of it. And I'm like, what are you doing with that? They don't want a big aggressive hook because they want to get the fish, getting the fish off the hook is more important than getting it on the hook. (laughs) And they're dipping, lifting and flopping the fish like, like a crane action over and over (laughs) again. Holy cow. Using a piece of night crawler. And I'm like, well, I can improve on this. I know all this. I drop all my junk down. They wouldn't touch it. They would not, they would not take my flies. They wouldn't take my chain jigs. So I have to borrow this embarrassing lure. <laughs> and I drill my own hole. By the time I start with a five-inch hole, and it was seven and a half-inch hole by the time I was done pulling fish out of it, and it was dark. <laughs> gosh it was unbelievable so we we certainly did our part to try to knock back the invasive species and uh and we had bucket and we had a jet sled of white perch wow (laughs) we're carrying our buckets back to the truck my buddy who had hated me all morning he's in the midst of it like minutes would go by and you'd look around there's nothing but flopping fish no ice just fish and he turns to me goes is it weird to say I love you? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> wow. That's, that's my, it's not a yellow perch story, but it is perch. So. so then you went home and flayed fish for like four days. We got, we called all of our buddies. We had like a production going on there and, uh, and hundreds of pounds of, of fish. So white uh, perch, I don't know if I've ever seen a white perch. Is it, does it look like a yellow perch, just white or? I think it is actually in the bass family. There, there's a, you know, on average, they look similar profile to a perch, but a little bit taller, a little bit thicker. And they're much more of a silvery color with a blackish back on them. And they're meaty and they fight. I mean, they're, it was, they were using the braided line just so you didn't have to fool around with fighting them. You just wrench them out of the hole. And they were like zucchini up there, like like zucchini in August. Everybody's trying to get rid of them. You could sell them, but it was 15 cents a pound they were buying them for. Oh, my gosh. And, but they, I mean, huge volumes of white perch were getting transferred all over. They were selling them up into Canada at that point and all over the place. If you filleted them right, they were pretty good. If you if you ran the blade too close to the skin and left the fat on, they were horrible. Oh, uh, which that took us a couple hundred pounds of fish to figure that out. Accurately. <laughs> but but oh. that was also the magic of YouTube. Eventually, we, we even YouTubed how to play these things better. And so cool. Well, Roger, I really, really want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. I know for I've sure. learned a lot and you've given me a whole nother YouTube um, <laughs> rabbit hole to go, go down and maybe another fishing location too. So <laughs> we good. really want to thank you for your time and, and uh, have a great night. Thank you. 
All right. Well, that was an awesome interview with Roger. We really appreciate him coming on. Um, once again, we have to thank Ian for helping us connect with Roger. Uh, Ian, I guess, is, is slowly becoming our booking agent. So we'll just have him keep it up. It works for me. Thanks. Thanks to Ian and, and tight lines, everybody. So, so if you like to be on the on the Hard Rider Fishing Show, talk to Ian. Talk right? to Ian, I guess. Yeah, he's the man. <laughs> and and he's known. So if you know who Ian is, you'll just know who. To yeah, talk to. Ian's one of those guys. I suspect that if it, you know, if you know Ian, tight lines. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Hard Water Fishing Show with Jeff and Jason. Say goodbye. One of the most unique podcasts on the planet, where we talk about tactics gear and ice fishing legends we'll be back soon bye-bye till then signing off bye-bye bye-bye